Happy December. I have a couple of announcements this morning. It's good to see you. I wasn't here last week. Violet had a nasty cold. It was the worst sick she's ever been. Uh, we did have a couple of announcements this morning. Did anyone bring a Bible to donate to the Phoenix Rescue Mission? If you have a Bible, um, go ahead and just leave it on the table as you exit today after Bible study. I will be taking donations next week. Um, if you didn't know, Phoenix Rescue Mission is in need of Bibles. They're hosting a Winter Wonderland community event, and they reached out to Shannon to see if she had any Bibles, and so we thought we would just extend that um, opportunity to you as well. So if you have a gently used Bible or a brand new Bible, either in Spanish or English, you can bring it next week on Tuesday, and then I'll be making a delivery that same day for their event that's next weekend, uh, the following weekend, sorry, the 16th. So if you have someone that you know, if you want to order one on Amazon um, and get it shipped uh, in time for next Tuesday, that'd be amazing. Uh, I know there's also a lot of great ones just at Goodwill. So if you are at Goodwill and you see a brand new Bible, um, purchase that and bring it. That'd be really awesome. Just a good way to bring the gospel to those um, who need it at Phoenix Rescue Mission. And then the second thing is uh, the that we don't have Bible, uh, Bible study for winter break, December 14th through January 8th. So if you want to take a picture of that or write that down, those are all the days that we will be off. We will return January 9th and January 10th. So we have this week and next week, then we'll be on Christmas break until January 9th. And we are excited to see you back in the new year. Um, bring a new friend, invite someone along for the new year as well. And then lastly, uh, Shannon talked briefly last week about Jesus One t-shirts. This is through the FCA um, of the Valley and also of Arizona. So if you don't know about this, this is a limited time shirt that they created. Half of the proceeds are going to Mary Shannon Ministries. The other half of the proceeds are going to the Zachary Hoffpower um, FCA Arizona scholarship. If you didn't get a chance to see on Facebook a couple of days ago, we posted a video of Zach dancing. Um, he posted a video a few years ago because he won a dance competition at the FCA camp, and so he couldn't return, but he was showing off his moves. So if you haven't seen that on Facebook yet, go check it out. He really did know how to dance. So please support um, these two ministries. It's really great that FCA and AZ is working with Shannon um, and this scholarship. And I know it would mean a lot to Shannon. I have a couple examples. Here's the two colors. Shannon has a shirt on too. She'll model it for you on a catwalk in a second. Uh, here's the green Jesus one. On the back it says FCA. And then here's the red version. They're only going to be probably like another week and a half um, taking orders. If you need help taking orders, I actually have my computer with me. So if you want to take it, um, make an order right after this uh, study, you can just meet me in the lobby and I'll help you do that. You can also go to FCA, AZ, um, or you can go on Shannon's Facebook page, Instagram, or website, and there's a link there as well to purchase one. Um, if you'd rather just make a donation, I think they can make a donation online. Let me just double check on that. I'm pretty sure you can just do like a cash or monetary donation as well. Um, that is all I have for you. Please come next week. I know it's getting close to Christmas, um, but we are excited to finish out the season with you. Thank you for all of the support that you've given Mary Shannon, both monetary and prayer. Um, we appreciate you and it's good to see you. I hope you have a great Tuesday. I know, we get closer to the holidays and we start to dwindle. What's happening with this side over here? Where are y'all's friends? Okay, well, look around because I don't know. This side's staying committed, but this side's a little iffy of what's happening up here. Um, aren't, these are cool sweatshirts, aren't they? I, I know FCA did a good job and they're super soft and cozy, which I love. I don't know why I put my coffee up here. Um, but the funniest story about Zach coaching at FCA, going to FCA camp, I think y'all have heard this before, but one day we were at V's Tap Room out in Vistancia and we were eating lunch and these young kids, uh, came in and we see them look over at us, you know, and then they sit down at the table with their parents and they pull out their phones and they're showing their parents something on the phone like this. And I'm like, and Zach's smiling. Or, and I said, what are you smiling at? And he's like, I think those kids were at FCA camp and they, they're showing their, parent, their parents the video of me dancing. 
And so we started laughing because at FCA camp in the summers, all these athletes are filling up NAU and um, they end up one night having a dance off. It's, it's amazing, actually. And um, so each group or huddle, I think they call them, elects somebody to go up on the stage to dance and have a big dance off. So all the coaches obviously elected Zach. Why wouldn't you? Um, David Shaw one time at Stanford football, Stanford football coach said, you do realize that your son's the best dancer on the team. And I'm like, yes, I do realize this. And so anyway, Zach went over and said hi to them. And sure enough, that's what they were watching his videos. So it's cool that, you know, FCA decided to take their, um, scholarship fund and name it after Zach. So that, that's a cool thing. And Zach and Matt Palmer were, we're super close. And so FCA is awesome. The reason Zach uh, ended up getting into dancing, by the way, is because, uh, well, first off, his dad and I can cut a rug. But uh, the the very first time uh, Doug Hoffpower met me, it was because I was break dancing um, in front of all of Baylor University. Yes, I had the moves. I could pop, lock, and drop, or whatever they say. Now I would just drop, and I wouldn't be able to get back up. <laughs> but one night, we, on Thursday nights, we always had game night at home. And the problem was, my kids were so competitive that by the end of the night, they were always both grounded in their rooms. And so that was not a wonderful family night that you look forward to, that every Thursday night, they're in trouble. And so we thought, well, good grief, we can't play games. Because, you know, they were both competitive. And if it was a game of luck, Hillary won, and then Zach was mad, and he'd cheat. And then I would worry about their integrity, and then it would be a whole deal. Is anybody else's family like this? Yeah. So uh, one night, <laughs> Doug came home, and I said, we got to do something different. And he goes, I got an idea. And I'm like, okay. And so we have dinner and everything. And um, all of a sudden, he goes over to the stereo, and he turns on the stereo, and this is what I hear. Dun, 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 dun. And we played Ice Ice Baby. And we jumped up and did our 80s moves. We were doing the running man and the Roger Rabbit and all this stuff. And our young kids thought it was the greatest thing they'd ever seen. And from that moment on, Zach decided he was going to be a dancer. And Hillary can dance too. But the thing that made Zach uh, awesome, I think even as an athlete, was he had the God-given ability to mimic. That's what it came down to. He could mimic anything. He could mimic an accent. He could mimic dance moves so he could watch them and he could do them. And he could mimic athletes and what they did. He could mimic their swing. He, I mean, he had coordination, but that's what he did. And Colleen Garday, her son, uh, played in high school with Zach. And Zach was like a mini-me to her son, but she knows this too. He can mimic coaches. He could walk like them. He could stand like them. And so at the end of every season, he would roast the coaches and like do this thing where he would walk like them. And so uh, that's how he ended up being this great dancer. And so anyway, we're going to use some of that fun skill still. He would appreciate it to raise some money so that kids can go to FCA camp. Because if you remember raising your kids, camps are expensive. And so we want kids to be able to go to FCA camp. So whether you like this shirt or not, buy it. Okay? If you don't like it, then let it be your ugly Christmas sweater that you wear to parties. And if you like it plus, they are trending. So buy it for uh, the young people in your life because they're kind of a deal right now out on FCA and all of that. And these happen to be, you know, Mary Shannon Hoffpower versions. So it's all good. Um, so with the holidays, listen, I hope that when I come up, up here, I'm always real to you and I tell you a lot of the stuff I struggle with. So does anybody during the season just struggle with the fret in their head that is just constantly telling you what you need to do, what's bad, what's not enough? I mean, literally, it goes on nonstop for me. This morning, I was looking in the mirror and I was like, you know what? I told, I told Rob, I said, I know that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
but I am fearfully and wonderfully made of turkey and mashed potatoes and stuffing right now. Is anybody else feeling like a big chunk of just bleh? Right? Like, I need to join Jenny Craig right now. I, I, and I need to not put a pumpkin pie in my refrigerator because I can't not eat it. It is my favorite. And so I just want to know, is anybody out there with me feeling like a big old chunk? Okay, well, after, after we do Christmas, maybe we can all motivate each other to get back to doing what we need to do, right? So we're going to do that. We're going to help each other do that. But until then, we're just going to wear big old Jesus One sweatshirts and feel real good about ourselves. And I've shown up here because I have been doing landscaping because I have decided I'm in the wrong business. Landscaping is where it's at. Have you tried to hire a landscaper lately? I have talked to three of them because I've just thought, surely not. I would ask them about cleaning up the situation or cutting or doing some little things. And I give back these quotes and I'm like, dude, I didn't ask you to build a pergola. Is anybody with me? So guess who's been doing the landscaping? Me. Do you see the issues that are happening here? So not only am I feeling a little chunky, but I've got everything to do. I can't get it done. I'm breaking my, I'm a hot mess. Anybody with me? And while you're out doing landscaping, how does the inside of your house become such a disaster? And then you're like, you know what? That's it. I just can't get it all done. And in the meantime, I'm studying and we're in chapter five about Ananias and Sapphira just dropping dead on the scene. Right? And so here's where we're at. This is real life. And isn't it fun to be here? And don't you, uh, do you feel normal now? Right? It's, it is the season. And so we just get through it and we fight the fret in our head and we do what we can do. and We learn to be patient and it's hard. I'm telling you, it's the season. Yesterday we were putting up lights and Rob's scared of heights. And I'm like, how can you be a builder and be scared of heights? Get up there. I need some Christmas lights. <laughs> and then I get up there to take him the, the lights and we're standing up on the roof and I go, Ooh, how do I get down? And he just kept putting on the lights. So I just laid on my back on the roof, just waiting. I said, I can't get down on this ladder until you hold this ladder. I'm freaking out. It's a little weird. And so then we both got down. We we're like getting tickled. And I'm like, let me tell you what, people better appreciate when they come over, right? And why do we do all this? Is anybody else doing all this? Why do we do it? We drive ourselves crazy trying to do stuff like this. And at the end of the day, I wonder, do we really spend time where we should be putting our time uh, during this holiday season? So I don't know, but I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay, let's review. Are you ready? We're at the end of Acts chapter four. Okay. And we know that there's been um, this great healing and that the boys have been called in to the religious leaders. They have been arrested and they have been questioned. Do you remember all that? Okay. And they have responded in great boldness. We have uh, talked about the fact that isn't it awesome that the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon and gives us the boldness and the words to say in a defense? And it's so interesting because we see this in Scripture. I mean, God uses all people. We see Paul, who had a Ph.D., and we see Peter, who had a GED. And either way, right, they are given this boldness because it comes through the filling of the Holy Spirit. They have noticed, right, how is this possible? Um, they, it says that they recognize that they have been with Jesus. They're so shocked by how these men are using the scripture. Think about it. These are ordinary men. These are not the students that got picked up by the rabbis because they were so... Um, uh, they could handle the scripture so masterfully, and now they can. I mean, you've got to think of all that Peter has done with the scripture, but they realize they're uneducated, but ah, they've been with Jesus. And they recognize that. Why? Well, they have his healing power. 
They also have his demeanor. And they have knowledge. Not to mention, right, there's a man standing right beside them um, that has been healed, who has been crippled for 40 years. This is real. It's reality. Um, They can't unsee what they have seen. And so verse 21 says in chapter 4, when they had further threatened them, right, they released them. And we talked about what would those threats be, right? I mean, think about it. What do you do when you realize you do not have control? You ramp up the threats. Have you ever done that to your kids? When you realize that you really don't have a whole lot of control, I get louder and more powerful, right? And that's just saying that really you're just trying to threaten them into submission because you really don't have control over them at all. And this is what they're realizing. I mean, think about it. They even made the final decision to crucify Jesus. Then what? But God raised him from the dead. They do not have any control over this movement or what God is doing, and so they threaten them. And uh, I think it is so funny because Jesus is still doing what he did. He's just doing it through the disciples. Think about it. Jesus was always uh, healing the paralyzed and then paralyzing the leaders. And this is what is still going on. Nothing has changed. He is just doing it through the disciples. It says in verse 23, they went to their friends and reported everything the religious leaders had said. We talked about last week that faith does not mean that you don't have fear. It just means you choose to have faith over fear. There is no way they walked out of there, in my opinion, and did not experience fear. These are the same people who arrested Jesus and what happened to him. He was beaten beyond recognition. He was uh, accused illegally, beaten beyond recognition, and hung on a cross and crucified. And you've just been called in by those same jokers. And they have threatened you. And I can't imagine what all they've threatened you. They could absolutely not only destroy your life, but take your life. And so they threatened them. And they had great fear, but they chose faith over fear. And they go to their community. And it says in verse 24, And when they heard, they lifted their voices together in prayer. Their first reaction might have been fear, but their first response was prayer. And we looked at that last week. Um, And I love the fact that when it says basically what they did in prayer is they recognized that Jesus was sovereign. They called him sovereign Lord. So they had the correct perspective. Do you remember last week when we looked at the story of the 12 spies? Are y'all with me? Yes. And I said, it's about perspective. Right, The 10 spies looked at the giants in the land and they compared the giants to themselves and so they looked like grasshoppers. But instead, Joshua and Caleb looked at the giants in the land and compared the giants to the God that freed them from Egypt, almighty sovereign God, and guess who looked like the grasshoppers? The giants. And so it's about perspective. So immediately they had correct perspective. Oh, sovereign God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And then they also reminded themselves um, that all of this was in his plan, that he is in control. And so you see that they do not ask for suffering to be removed or persecution be removed, but they ask that God give them boldness to continue doing what they are doing. Because I don't believe for one minute the disciples ever thought that suffering wouldn't be a part of it. Because Jesus had a cross, and do you remember what he told them was coming their way? across. And so they didn't ask for it to be removed because they knew it wouldn't. They are living a kingdom that is absolutely upside down. They are serving a different master. And with that is going to come what? Persecution. So God, give us the strength not to stop. Give us the strength to press on and to have boldness because they knew suffering was on the way. Um, When they got there, right, we realized right away that this community has been reflecting on Scripture. Because now as they began to pray, the Scriptures rose out of them. And they found themselves talking to God in his own words. 
Isn't that how it happens? We are in scripture. We keep our face in the scripture. And what starts to happen? That comes out of us. It comes out of us even as we pray. And we see them using, once again, we see them using Psalm 2. And we talked about that. Isn't it amazing how far they've come? Think about it. Just eight weeks before, they didn't understand the Old Testament at all. Jesus had told them, I'm going to be arrested by the chief priests. I'm going to be delivered by the Gentiles. I'm going to be tried and beaten and crucified, and I'm going to rise. And he was the greatest teacher of all time. But they what? They did not get it because it did not fit uh, their preconceived ideas. I mean, at one point, Peter even had the audacity to tell Jesus, oh, you, you won't die. And you remember what Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan, right? And yet now they understand. Look how far they've come. Acts 1. They choose a replacement for Judas based on two Old Testament Psalms. In Acts 2, Peter preaches a message off of two up off of three Old Testament scriptures that he is bringing to life before their eyes. In Acts 3, he mentions the prophets. He calls God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He brings up Moses. He says the prophet like Samuel. He talks about the prophet of Abraham. Um, in 4, he quotes Psalm 2, and he calls him the stone that the builders reject. Look what is happening. What occurred the 40 days after Jesus raised from the dead is vital because now they get it and it's coming out in them. Think about what Jesus did on the road to Emmaus. Number one, what did he do? He opened up the scriptures. He started explaining the scriptures. Number two, when he broke the bread, he opened up their eyes. And then those 40 days of seminary, he opened up their minds. And so now the scripture is in everything they are saying. It is in the way they are praying. And it is also in their life. Do you remember? Because verse 32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were one in heart and soul. All right, so it's coming out in their preaching, it's coming out in their prayers, and more than that, it's exemplified in how they live. They are one in heart and soul. What's happening? Do you remember in John 17, when Jesus prays the pre what we call the high priestly prayer? Let me remind you, John 17, verse 21, he is praying for them, and he says to the Father, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What's happening? Jesus' high priestly prayer is being answered, because the scripture has transformed their way of seeing things. Now they get it. They see that the entire Old Testament has been pointing towards Jesus who was to come as the suffering servant to die on the cross for their sin and to be the first of the great resurrection, the, uh, the great restoration to come. They get it. So not only is it now being preached, it's coming out in their prayers because they are so in the scripture that when they pray to God, the scripture comes forth in them, this understanding, and they begin to speak God's words back at him. And not only that, they are living this out. They are one in soul and they are one in heart. It's being answered. As I am in you, Father, they will be in me and we will be one. And you're seeing that happen. And how does it come out? Well, once again, in the scripture, we see that it comes out in what we call koinonia. Do you remember that term? It's, the, it's fellowship, but it is more of the idea of sharing that we are sharing in Christ Jesus, and now out of that, we share. We share ourselves. We share our material goods. We share our time. It is this kind of community. In verse 34, it says, there was not a needy 
person among them. Let me show you where that comes from, okay? Because that phrase is also in Deuteronomy 15. I want you to see something. I'm going to read this. I'm going to kind of open it up to you a little bit. At the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. That's the year of Jubilee, okay? And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed. Of a foreigner, you may exact it, but whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. So this is being released from the bondage of debt, this, the year of Jubilee. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you, and he promised you, and you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow, and you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. What is Deuteronomy, by the way? Okay, this is why it's important to understand the overall view of the Old Testament. Okay, what is the theme of Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy is what we call the second law, okay? It's not that it's a different law. It's the second time the law is given. Do you remember? Okay, so what has happened? God has kept his promise. He has to Abraham, the nation of Israel, when they were uh, taken to Egypt, they grew into a nation, right? And they were oppressed by a foreign people, the Egyptians. That's what Abraham was told in advance. But I will hear their cry. And I will free them, which he did. And by his mighty right hand, by the ten plagues, but by the innocent blood of the lamb, they were freed from the bondage of slavery. They passed through the waters. And they ended up at Mount Sinai where what happened? God said, will you marry me? They entered into a covenant that we call the Ten Commandments. Love me and only me. Get rid of all your old boyfriend's pictures. No images, no idol. Honor my name because you will bear it. Make me the most important thing in your life. Honor the Sabbath. Give me a date day every week. Make me the most important thing, right? And you're going to be a blessing to all people. How? By having a living in covenant relationship with me. What does that look like? It's the words of life. Honor your father and mother. It starts in the home. In submission, thou shalt not murder. I'm a God of life. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I'm a God who keeps my promises. This is what humanity was created to live like. And the only way you got a shot at this is to live this in relationship with me. And when that happens, right, you will live in that covenant relationship. This is what it will look like, and that will be a blessing to all people. But we know what happened. They go to the edge, and they send out the 12 spies. What happens? They believe the 10 unfaithful spies, and God says, turn your butts around. You're going to take another lap around the mountain. Matter of fact, you're going to be lapping for quite some time. Until the young generation, what? I mean, the old generation dies out and the young generation rises up. Now, they still have the attributes of their parents, this lack of trust. But he then takes them, if you remember, to the edge of the promised land again. And Moses gives them the, what I call, second law. He goes through it again. Why? Well, now they're adults. God doesn't force anybody to have a relationship with him. He asks and so he basically asked this generation again, going through the law, and they say, we will. And he describes a covenant relationship community, and this is what Deuteronomy is. And so he is saying, right, he's quoting that there will be no poor among you. Why? Because in that kind of covenantial relationship, we do what? We share. Because we are one in heart and spirit. It, we work together as we were originally created to do. And so here you have uh, Isaiah is part of it. He, they're 
their prophets have been talking about that one day God would restore Israel. He would restore his kingdom, his nation. And that one day he would raise up another prophet like who? Like Moses. And that when he comes, even Moses said in Deuteronomy, when he comes, you better do everything he tells you to do. So one day, God was going to rise up someone like Moses to free his people and to restore Israel and to lead them into what the prophets called a new covenant. Does that sound familiar to you? This is what they were expecting. Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah 61. Let's look at that just a little bit. Okay, so what is the title of Isaiah 61? The year of the Lord's favor, which is also called the year of Jubilee, where all debts, what? You're released. You're released from bondage, okay? And so Isaiah, Deuteronomy 15 was talking about that. Isaiah 61 is talking about that. And listen to what it says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. You've been released, right? He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all of those who mourn. What does that sound like? Blessed are those who mourn. Are you starting to feel the connection? Like even if you don't get it, you just think, ooh, there's a lot of strings tying all this together. To grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, and that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up the former devastations and they shall repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. What is this? It is a picture of restoration. One commentary said this, God's great plan of salvation. He is not only forgives his people, protects them, heals them, provides for them, restores them to their homes, reconciles them to each other, transforms them so they are righteous, honors them, exalts them above all other nations and makes them a blessing to all nations as he called them to be. But more than all that, later on when you continue to read Isaiah, it actually says that that he delights in his people. So what is this showing us? This is showing us, if I asked you the question, what would the world look like if God was in control? What would the world look like if, if he was running things? This. That is what it would look like. Do you remember in Luke 4? And if you've watched The Chosen, it's a really good scene. In Luke 4, when Jesus goes back to Nazareth and he is able to read the scripture in that local synagogue, do you remember what scripture he reads? Isaiah 61, right? And he says today, these verses have been fulfilled, what? In me. How do they react? Not good. They try to throw him off a cliff. And he's like, oh yeah, my time has not come. And he just walks through the crowd. This is also quoted when John the Baptist is in prison, if you remember. And some debate, was he asking the question or was he asking the question so his disciples would think about it? I'm not going to debate that. But what was the question? Is he the Messiah or should we be waiting on another? And when they went and inquired, what did Jesus tell them? Well, tell him what? He quotes this. What is going on? That the brokenhearted are being comforted, that the poor are being fed, that the lame are being... So what is he saying? Look at it. What is he doing? He's bringing... What would it look like if God were in control? This is what Jesus came to show us, that I am 
the true humanity in submission under my father. So what does my life look like? If it's broken, I fix it. If it's sick, I heal it. If it's dead, I raise it. If it's hungry, I what? I feed it. This is what it looks like when God is in control. And so what are we seeing happening? This life. This fruit in the community, this is what is happening when he says, and there will be no, they were one in heart and soul, and there will be no poor among you. It is this beautiful covenant relationship living that is going on. And it reminds me of the Lord's prayer. Remember how he taught them how to pray? Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done where? on earth as it is in heaven. And then check this out. It does not say, give me this day my daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And what? And forgive us as we forgive those who try. It's all us. It's all community. Why? Because in order to live that way, it's coming from us and through us to each other. Give us this day our daily bread. How does that happen? Through us. We're a part of it. How, how often do we pray, God, why aren't you doing something about this situation? And he, and he comes back in our prayer and says, what? Shannon, why aren't you doing something? about this situation because I've given you the means to fix this problem. It is within community. His kingdom come, his will be done is gonna be through us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive what? It's, it's through us. Our forgiveness is contagious when we release people from, uh, when we wipe the slate clean that's what's happening. And this is what is happening in this community. Verse 36 introduces an important person, Barnabas. So let's read about him. Acts 4, 36. Well, I'll start with 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. That's that common koinonia. It's communism, not communism. Okay? It's completely different. Uh, communism says that what you have, you need to give to me. Communism says that what I have, I'm going to share with you. It's voluntary. It's sharing out of the heart. It is not a requirement, and it has nothing to do with making ownership illegal, personal ownership. All through this, there's personal ownership, okay? But it is a heart of sharing what I have with the community. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. It was coming out of their hearts. They were living as a community. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. I love that. Joseph, his nickname was Barnabas. Uh, he was a Levite. Do you remember what's special about that? Okay, the, it's the priestly line, but uh, the priests come out of the family of Aaron, but the Levites were the ones who provided the minor officials to work within the temple. Um, but he goes and he uh, sells a, a field, more than likely in Cyprus, um, and he gives the proceeds. And he's given a nickname, which I love. So he's known as Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. But why shouldn't it not be shocking to you that he's given a nickname? You're like, I don't know. Shannon, why? Well, what, what did Jesus do? He gave nicknames, people. Right? It was part of it. It was part of being in the group. Do you realize that? Remember? Uh, Simon, 
was given the name Peter, which mean what? Little rock, right? James and John were called the sons of thunder. Have mercy. I don't know what my nickname would be. What would y'all's nickname be? I do not know. But it was a part of it. Like it was a part of like who they were and their character. And it was that nickname. And so you see this happening. Um, he has come, he's involved. It's who he is. And so they start, to, they're doing what Jesus did to them by calling him Barnabas, this son of encouragement. And so it shows such camaraderie, I think, and who he truly is at his nature. But then we have an incredible contrast. So let's read the next part, and then we'll go into it. In in chapter 5, it says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart and have not lied to man but to God? When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. I do not like this story. I don't like it. I don't like it. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Wow. So the contrast. Why are we once again, because in chapter 2, we were already given a description of this community. So now Luke has circled back. And once again, we're talking about this koinonia, this sharing, this communal living. And And now Barnabas is brought up. In contrast, so I don't think the chapter should be broken right there, okay? The contrast is between Barnabas, what is happening there, out of his heart, and what is happening with Ananias and Sapphira. So um, we already know that this community has dedicated themselves to learning and being disciples, that they are sharing, that they are breaking bread together and praying. And so we're seeing this commonism. But now, and we have seen an attack without, right? Which is the religious leaders have attacked, they're attacking the church from with, without. But now we're seeing an attack what? Within, which is super dangerous, okay? In my notes, when I read this, I put, dang, Gina, This is a big one, right? So I wanted to see where are other instances where you see such swift judgment. Okay, are you ready? Because I'm not going to tell you what to think about this section. I'm just going to tell you my thoughts. Because this one, you got to wrestle with too. Because I wrestle with it. So let me tell you some other areas in the Old Testament where you see such swift judgment. Are you ready? Write this down. And then this week, you spend some time looking at this for yourself. In Leviticus 10, we see such swift judgment on Aaron's sons. Because Aaron's sons bring what the scripture calls a strange fire to the Lord, okay? There were certain requirements of incense that were to be offered to the Lord and they brought what the scripture calls a strange fire. And do you know what happens to them? What? Fire comes down from heaven and what? And consumes them. Dang, Gina. Okay. Joshua 7. There's another one. Joshua 7 
They, uh, Joshua is now in charge after Moses and he's uh, leading the people into the land of Israel. And in order to get in the land, they have got to conquer uh, the city that is at the pass through the mountains to get into Israel. And that city is Jericho. And God has given them specific instructions of how to conquer Jericho. And he has told them that this victory is his. It's the first fruits of them coming in the land. And they are not to take any of the spoils. Do you remember this story? And a man by the name of Achan uh, decides that he is going to keep back for himself some of the devoted things that are to be set apart to God and it is bad news for Achan. Okay? Another one. You'll be familiar with this one probably. 2 Samuel 6. A man by the name of Uza. Okay, now David is king and he realizes the Ark of the Covenant needs to be brought into Jerusalem. So what does he do? He inquires about it, he goes and gets it, and he has them put the Ark of the Covenant on a new cart. Is that how it was supposed to be transported? No, matter of fact, he got that idea from pagans. Because if you know the story, it was the Philistines in that funny story, if you remember, when they steal the Ark, which, by the way, thinks of another judgment of uh, Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas who were stealing the things devoted to God and sleeping with the women in the tabernacle, and they all died at war, those two died on the same day. And the Ark of the Covenant was stolen. And when it was stolen, and it was taken to Philistine cities, every one of them was struck with plagues, uh, and they got what is called tumors of the groin. By my Bible study, and you can read how I describe that. Okay, I don't want tumors of the groin, okay? And they get tumors of the groin. And so then they pass it off to the next city and every city that gets the Ark of the Covenant gets what? Tumors of the groin and rats. All right, so eventually what do they decide to do? They decide to put it on a new cart with um, images as gifts in gold of their tumors. Don't know what that looked like. I would love for them to excavate that and find that. Golden tumors of the groin. Okay? And they put it on a new car. And if you remember, the mama cows brought it back, which was miraculous on their own. But David literally mimics the pagans of how they handled the Ark of the Covenant because there were, there were certain directions on how to handle that Ark. It was holy, set apart to God. All the imagery of what it represented. Like, you don't play around with the devoted things of God. And so he's taking it back to Jerusalem on a new card. It's a parade. It's a happy day until what? One of the oxen kind of, the, the road is rough. And what happens to the Ark of the Covenant? It starts to fall off and Yuza reaches out his hand to catch it. And he is struck dead. Dang, Gina. Second Chronicles. 26. This is a good one. These are all stories you ought to read. Okay? This is about King Uzziah. King Uzziah, who got a little arrogant. Little arrogant. And he decides he's not going to wait. He's going to go on in the temple himself. And he is going to offer incense in the temple. And the priests go to stop him and say, uh, no, this is not your job. And he goes in. And because he goes in, do you remember what happened to him? He was struck with leprosy. Right there on his forehead, he broke out leprosy. They all freaked out and got him out. And he had leprosy for the rest of his days and lived in isolation. Because he uh, did not honor the devoted things. So in my notes, I go, I don't have the answers. This is a scripture I wrestle with, so you're going to have to wrestle with it too. But I'm going to share my thoughts. These are all instances regarding the temple. These are all instances regarding consecrated things that are set apart and devoted to God. 
How does it fit in our current story? I find this really interesting, actually, because if you remember Pentecost, at Pentecost, we have seen the Spirit of God fill who? The people of God, the apostles and the church, and they literally have become the temple of God the church, God's presence abiding in them. So we together make up the body of the church. And remember, this is the root of the church, (laughs) the beginnings, and and that's a big deal. This is the beginning, because I'm going to tell you, now today there are many branches of the church. And if there is corruption within the branches, right, A branch can be disciplined, but it doesn't necessarily do away with the root of the church. In the early church community, I see almost a nod back to Eden. So go. these are just my thoughts, and they may not all tie up in a pretty bow together, but I'm going to give you enough stuff to think about and to investigate. When I think back at how the early church is living, And the fact that Jesus was the first fruit, right, of the great resurrection to come. He was that first example to where God's space, man's space come together in Jesus. And so when the church began, it is almost like it was a nod back to the beginning, to this restoration, to Eden. One heart and soul. A common life, a common purse, no one lacking. Isn't that so interesting? Here in Jerusalem, you have this picture of the temple and the priesthood in many ways laid desolate as Jesus predicted. Today, your house is desolate. The last time Jesus walked out of there. And over here in town, you have something else happening. You have this new life that true covenant community is happening. It's what God designed Israel to be, remember? In Deuteronomy. But what's their state? It's not, that's not, they haven't remained in relationship with God and they haven't had this kind of communal, communism, community, covenantial living. Matter of fact, they've become more like the beasts, if you remember from Matthew 26. And so they are watching this take place. This is a brand new beginning. Sends me back to Eden. What happened there? What happened in Eden when they were living together in community, in perfect relationship with God, and uh, it was provided, all their needs were provided for, what happened? The enemy. The enemy happened. And so Satan's attack on God's beautiful world, look at verse 3 of 5. Isn't this what he's saying? Why has Satan filled your heart? What does he do? He does what he does. Who is Satan? He is the father of lies. He is seeking self what? Exaltation. It is all about self. That's who he is. What is Jesus like? He's truth. There is nothing false in him. He is about submission not exaltation, right? He did not consider being God something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself out and became what? Man. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. Why? Not for self, but for what? To share for us. We're seeing two opposite things happen here, and we're seeing it played out. So at the beginning of this restoration, this new community that's being birthed into life, and we're seeing the fruit of it, how beautiful that looks. What would it look like if God were in charge? You're seeing it. And then what do you see? The enemy comes in to ruin that from within, 
These are the underlying themes of this story. It is truly about falsehood and lies. Because they weren't required to give anything. It's not about that. It's about falsehood and lies. It is about glory, seeking glory, and it's about false image. And it is about self instead of being others-oriented. That is the issue here. I think it's interesting to compare the temptation of Jesus with this story as well. Because think about it. In Jesus' ministry, he comes, he passes through the water, and he goes out into the wilderness. You're seeing true Israel happen here. And he is tested in the wilderness. All right? And he is tested, will he remain in covenantal relationship with God? Will he actually live out what humanity is created to be? So think about that. Will he trust? Will he submit? And will he share? That's the question. Think about, one of the, think about the final temptation. What is Satan offering him? Do you see all this? I will give you all of these kingdoms, all the image, all the glory without the cross. That's what he's offering. You can have the glory without the cost. It's all about self. And every time Jesus answers every temptation with a quote from what book? Deuteronomy. Nope. I will remain in covenantal relationship with my father man does not eat by bread alone but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of the lord it is commanded do not test the lord he quotes deuteronomy and you see this the pharisees you're seeing all the pharisees all in sapphira and ananias think about it the pharisees were called out for their hypocrisy they wanted to be praised for their righteous acts. But Jesus calls them what? Whitewashed tombs. You remember that? Woe to you, you Pharisees. You leaders of the people. You blind guides. You whitewashed tombs. What does that mean? You look real good on the outside. But there's no life in you. You dead. It's dead. Ananias and Sapphira were exhibiting the same hypocrisy. They were parading falsehood as righteousness. And it's a beastly story. What was that? I don't know what I just did. It is a beastly story. I, I don't like the story, okay? And isn't it interesting? And especially when you feel like Peter's entrapping her, right? Read the Bible and allow yourself to read the Bible, okay? Sometimes when we grow up in church, we don't let ourselves question the story and just go, that is wrong. That's, I don't know. Like, wrestle with it. It's okay. You'll, you'll come back and you'll, you'll be able to think through all of those things. If, if all we do is only read a story like we've been preached to that that's what that story means, we don't get to really wrestle through those scriptures. Like, that is rough. They've already buried her husband. She comes in three hours later and he sets her up. Did you really? I mean, wow. Yikes, right? But remember, it, it's like a new beginning. And I believe it nods back to Eden. This community, this communal covenantal uh, living which reminds me, right, of Adam and Eve and the entire temptation that is happening. But I find this interesting. They're totally working together as Adam and Eve. This time, though, it's flipped. I think that's interesting, right? Because at the beginning, Eve is deceived, and he sins with his eyes wide open. He's totally complicit. And they both, what? die really okay and here you have this image still because he right now listen 
Satan comes in, but then it says, but you contrived in your own. So he's responsible for his choice. And so is she in her complicit. She's complicit too. And they both die, right? Because what it's like a picture of is like, remember how I told you the Bible, I'm almost done, is the tale of two seeds. Do you remember that? Okay, I will put hatred between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. You, he, will bruise, he will bruise your heel, you will crush his head. I don't know if I said that right, but you know what I mean. Okay, it's, and you see it right away, do you not? With Cain and Abel, two seeds at war. You have the root, the, the trunk of this church that is growing at the very beginning when it is brand new, a devoted temple of God. And you see this Satan come in with his deception and you see this ability to where a seed could happen. And what happens? It is cut off. And we're going to struggle through <laughs> how this happened because there, there's a lot to this and there's a lot to think about, okay? Because I will say this, and I'm going to come back to this next week. It is very hard to wrestle through. Abba Father, the Jesus we know, Abba Father, and the God that took these people out, like that. And we wrestle through the love of Abba and the fear of the Lord. Do we not? It's a rub. And it's very interesting to me, and we'll see this next week too, that Ananias' name means God is gracious. <laughs> and I have watched preachers I've watched some sermons lately of how they're trying to maneuver that and make it mean something and her name means beautiful and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm like, maybe it means what it means. Like, maybe we need to sit in the rub. The fact is, his name means God is gracious. Yet the story said, God struck him dead. And isn't that where we are a lot? To where... We know who God is, but yet sometimes we're in a situation where it doesn't seem that that's fitting or that, you know, we sit in that rub. And isn't that what, um, is it the 22nd Psalm where, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What it is to be human to when what we know about God doesn't match how we're feeling. This is what this story is. And the fact is, the fear of the Lord and Abba Father exist together. And we have to live within that. We're going to look at that even more. It'll be more applicable next week. But go back and look at those Old Testament stories. Because the more fluent you are in that Old Testament, the more this New Testament comes to life because they're speaking that language. And isn't it amazing how well the people of Israel knew their scripture so that when Peter was sharing the way, he could pull all the strings of their scripture. That's why it's so hard today. We give pastors such junk because they won't go deep. How are they going to go deep? The masses would not be able to chew it. They don't know the stories. So anytime I have to go back, like in what I call a hyperlink, I have to go back and teach that whole story because nobody knows it. So what do we expect them to do? And so we are responsible for our own diet, right? And so get in there and begin to know and be like the early church. And they dedicated themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They became disciples because they wanted to learn. All right? So let's keep our face in the book. Lord, thank you so much for today. Lord, it's hard when we end in the middle of a story. And so, God, I pray that even just at the beginning of the story, that there are morsels for them to eat 
and digest and to think about. Whether they sit in the rub of the struggle of you are God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. You are holy and you are righteous. We should never take that for granted. We are in awe of you. But at the same time, Lord, we see what you're like in the face of Jesus. And we cry out to you, Abba, Father, because you love us. God, may we be aware of the enemy that Peter, oh, he understood fully because Peter warns us that we need to be sober and alert because we have an enemy that's roaring around like a lion waiting to devour. He is the father of lies. He comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. God, I thank you for this picture of the early church. What does it look like when God is in control? What does it look like when thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? It looks like a family. It looks like love, submission to the Father, and a sharing that we cannot comprehend. And so, God, may we evaluate our life and may we realize that the resurrection is the first fruit. It's our hope that one day God will restore all things. But until that comes, we are the temple of God. We are the little rock that is going to fill up the whole earth. And the way we will do that, the way we will transform is to live as if God is in control. And that is to love and to submit to you and to be a part of a community and to enjoy koinonia, an attitude of sharing. Make us one in heart and soul. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.